1: Loyalty's my favorite characteristic of God But finding it in him is hard It's like trying to find God You're the only one in your camp with cheese You pay for everything they eat Man, that insecurity is deep said. No names, these are just theories If you hear me, baby It's home, you must admit it's kind of eerie, baby Like Kim camp trails in the sky
0: Hello, everybody Good morning and grand rising to all of you out there Welcome to the day with Trey Right here as we take McCall Hall What a beautiful space Today, and I'm so excited to have you guys join us. First Friday of, you know, the day with Trey, and we get this royal treatment, really red carpet laid out for us today right here at McCall Hall. I'm going to tell you guys, if you have not seen a show here, if you have not experienced this beautiful space, you got to get down here. It's right in the heart of our city in downtown Seattle. And I'm telling you, it is so phenomenal. It's so beautiful. All the shows that I've seen here are top notch. So make sure you make your way to McCall Hall. We'll be talking about a show that you can come and see this weekend later on in the show. On the show today, you guys, I get to sit down with Cynthia Brothers and Keon Ross. Cynthia Brothers is going to be sharing with us a couple of spots. Many of you know her from Vanishing Seattle, and there are some spots that may be vanishing. There's some spots that, you know, are still open. Let's dive into it with her at the top of the show. And then later on, Keon Ross, Director of Company Operations right here for McCall Hall and for Pacific Northwest Ballet. He is going to be joining us, and I'm so excited to dive in with him about this show that you guys guys can see we've been giving away tickets all week. And I want to remind you, we still have the ticket giveaway for all Tharp. If you guys want to, you know, put your name in the hat for one of these pairs of tickets, make sure you guys email BESA at whereweconverge.com That is B-E-S-A at whereweconverge.com Well, I get to sit down with a good friend of mine who is doing phenomenal things. And I'm always so inspired by somebody having their finger on the pulse of the changing of our city. That is Cynthia Brothers from Vanishing Seattle. What's up, Cindy, bro? How are you? Hey,
2: Trey. So good to be here with you. Congrats on the Emmy and congrats on your new show. So exciting. Well-deserved. Thank you so much. And, you know,
0: I got to say congrats to you for staying on top of this. You know, I think when you first started, who would have known that there would be so many things to cover? And I know we have a lot to dive into today. So let's get right into it. Up first, tell us all about the first one.
2: Yeah. So I wanted to just share um, a vanishing place, unfortunately, that um, just closed a couple months ago called Grumpy D's Coffee House. Um, I think there's some visuals of it, but, uh, it was in the Crown Hill Ballard neighborhood. It was kind of like an old school Bohemian coffee house. That was a neighborhood gathering spot. They had a lot of open mics and live music that kind of brought folks of all ages. Um, a lot of musicians had their first show there, awesome more established musicians. And it was, yeah, just a very well-loved community spot and, um, yeah, it was uh proposed for redevelopment the site that they were on and the owners spent a couple years looking for a new space but it just you know it's it's hard to um find a space that was big enough for the type of um yeah, just shows and activities they had there so they did um yeah, ultimately have to have to close after being open for about um, 10 years. So yeah, RIP Grumpy D's.
0: Uh, a Grumpy D's. And you know, I had never been there, but I've heard about it for Mm -hmm. sure. Because again, these eclectic spaces, sometimes we don't understand the value of them until they're gone. And that's the unfortunate part. Tell Mm -hmm. us about the next one.
2: Yeah, so the next spot is uh, Pike Place Magic Shop. And um, it's not vanished and hopefully won't vanish, but they are looking for a new buyer. Um, They've been around for about 50 years. It was founded in 1973 by Daryl Beckman. And um, yeah, it's the longest running magic shop in Pacific Northwest and the last remaining one in Seattle. Um, Just the go-to spot for local magicians, um, touring musicians. They've got, you know, all sorts of different um, gag gifts, uh, juggling magic, of course. Um, They're, Back wall is lined with pictures of celebrity magicians um, and just their fans and followers. And when I posted about the magic shop, it's uh, got a huge response. I mean, there's just so many people who grew up in Seattle that have um, memories of going there as kids and like getting gag gifts and whoopee cushions and <laughs> invisible ink. So hopefully uh, the legacy of Pike Place Magic Shop can carry on because it's just such a, you know, uniquely. Um, kind of quirky, long-standing Seattle spot. I mean, I, I think there's many of us
0: who in our childhood, you know, somebody gifted us with something that was very similar. You're talking about Vanishing Ink and all of these other things. I remember some of those things, these gag gifts when I was coming up. But also it's the wow factor of it all, right? Like there's something so literally magical, right, as a young person experiencing these things, because you may see a magic show and just be completely inspired by the fact that what whoa, these visuals are taking me somewhere that my brain cannot compute, right? Like what is really going on? What am I seeing? How do people get engaged when, when we have opportunities like this? It's not vanished yet, mm-hmm. right? There's still, there, there's something happening here where we're kind of in that intermediary pe- period. How do people get engaged? Because I feel like there, this is where people need to rally together to save our spaces like this.
2: Yeah. Well, I think in the case of not just the magic shop, but a lot of places, you know, there hasn't yet been a recovery from the pandemic and especially downtown and in the market. So, you know, just making choices about where you spend your money and supporting small local businesses. Um, and with the magic shop, I mean, just give them a call if you're interested in, in buying it and continuing that, that legacy. Um, but yeah, those, those gag gifts are legendary, <laughs> like the fake cigarettes and like, yeah. smoking those as a kid. And like, people will be like, oh, what's <laughs> up with these kids smoking cigarettes? Right. And, um, yeah, everyone who's worked there has been a practicing magician. So it's just cool to see that there's this very like passionate community that's, you know, still, um, practicing that that craft. So yeah, very cool spot. You know, oftentimes too, the, the thing is, is that it's people like them that
0: keep the spirit alive and well, mm-hmm. right? Because there's like a culture that gets built there. There's a, a almost cult following, right? Where it's like, hey, everybody who is doing something in that world knows the, the value of a shop like that. And so I think it is something when we talk about consumerism, how we spend our dollars to make sure that these spots stay open. But, you know, the fact that they're out here looking for a fire I always think, oh my goodness, opportunity for a campaign to Mm collectivize voices, right? To like maybe push it up a level to to the max so that potential, we got a lot of money in this city, Mm -hmm. a lot of money, right? And so maybe there's some tech guru or something that loved magic as a kid that just didn't know about this opportunity, right? So Mm -hmm. I always think, well, how do we elevate the advocacy for spaces like this? That's that's my activism hat that comes on, right? But it's like, you know, people who care can Mm -hmm. pour into it, even if they can't, you know, um, buy the place, they can maybe make enough noise for the right buyer to show up.
2: Yeah, absolutely. And um, yeah, I think about this stuff a lot too. And I think there's a lot of, um, yeah, creative approaches that have been used. Like maybe there's a group of magicians or just fans of the shop that could, you know, collectively and cooperatively own the place and become, you know, its stewards for the next generation. So Yeah, I mean, I agree with you. I think there's a lot of resources, both monetarily, but just also. Um, just kind of thinking outside of the box that can, you know, keep these uh, important spaces in place and in community for years to come. Well, during your
0: work here, you know, just a little bit of a segue, have you been able to see that, that kind of resilience where people come together? I, I remember, and I recall this, like there was a apartment building, right? And the apartment building was about to be up for sale. And all of the residents of the apartment building, I think it was on Capitol Hill, they all like came mm-hmm. together and were, were like, oh my gosh, they were like petitioning They had these like digital petitions out. I remember signing it to be like, save this, you know, space Mm -hmm. for the residents. And then eventually it worked, right? And and so that's just one example that I feel like I have. But you have this really um, direct purview of all of this work that's happening there with spaces that are vanishing, possibly
2: vanishing. Mm -hmm. Have
0: you seen that kind of
2: effort take shape uh, to maybe save some of these spaces? Yeah, fortunately, I've seen a lot of that, which I think is really encouraging because sometimes it can't can feel overwhelming and like there's these larger forces at play that are very hard to overcome. But I mean, you might be thinking of La Quinta apartments in yeah, Capitol Hill yeah. and they had a successful campaign to landmark their building because I mean, they just had such a strong community there. So they were able to naturally organize and mount a campaign. Um, I've seen that in uh, efforts around uh, like the Wood Tech Center and different Seattle Central uh, college programs, workforce programs that are at risk of being cut, like the teachers and the students coming together to save those programs. Um, the work of Africa Town, of course. Um, yeah, lots of other cases, a showbox. Um, queer the Land is another great um, uh, queer and BIPOC-driven effort to buy this 12-bedroom house in Beacon Hill and establish how they want to um, have their own self-determination to live cooperatively and have shared ownership. So I think there's a lot of cases, but what, it you know, I think the common thread I see in all of them is that people just come together and organize like they have to, you know, care and put energy in and just um, not accept the way that things, the way that we're told that things have to be, that another world is possible and they are able to manifest and realize that. And I find that very powerful and very inspiring. So I hope people can, you know, see that and replicate it and, you know, keep that going because we need more of it.
0: Yeah. I really appreciate you for diving into that. And I know it's a bit of a segue, but I feel like people need to understand that all hope is not lost when we talk about these spaces, right? That yes, You mentioned Grumpy D's, the doors are already shut. Okay, that's one one way. But when we talk about opportunities like this space here, this magic shop, wow, you know, we could open it up. And, and I think people sometimes need to hear that there have been successes in that regard because mm-hmm. oftentimes that's what fuels the next person to be like, man, I, we could do this too. Mm-hmm. You know, there's enough of us that we can pull it together or bring more people in. So I just appreciate you diving into that. What's the yeah. next space that's on the list for banishing Seattle today?
2: Yeah, so I wanted to um, bring in a little bit of uh, really awesome local queer history, um, which, I mean, one of the things that I love about um, Running Vanishing Seattle is that I get to learn so much just from, you know, not only researching, but just like talking to people (laughs) who, you know, tell me about stuff. And then I kind of follow um, like down the rabbit hole and um, yeah, just find all all this cool, inspiring stuff about our local history. Um, So this uh, is a group called Z Wiz Kids, which um, was a queer countercultural performance art collective that was founded here in 1969. Um, And they ran through about 1974 and basically they did like guerrilla street theater. Um, They performed at bus stops and grocery stores and on the streets, Um, eventually grew in popularity and did over like a hundred musical reviews and performances. And it culminated in um, opening for Alice Cooper at the Paramount (laughs) in 1971 And yeah, they were just, you know, really um, wild and creative and very queer and in your face. And apparently they managed to even freak out Alice Cooper. (laughs) It was like, you know, you all scare me. I'm never going to perform with you again. (laughs) Um, And they were based in the basement of the Smith Tower, which was called, um, I think, the Subroom. And it was a mob run club at the time where they sold submachine guns. But it was also like this hang out for um, drag queens and that's kind of where their performance space and the rehearsal space was based out of. So they were only around for about five years. Some of the members um, moved to New York and got involved in the emerging punk scene at CBGB's and then moved back and established the Tupperwares, which played what's considered the first uh, Seattle punk show, I think in 1976. Um, Another member founded the Lude, um, which is another considered one of Seattle's very first punk bands. And then a lot of the members came on to work for One Real and Teatro Zanzani and different, you know, theater and music and art um, companies. So their influence just on the local music and punk and grunge and art and theater and like subculture scene, I think, had just reverberated and, is you know, very powerful and still seen today. So. Yeah, I thought that was just a really (laughs) cool slice of local history. You know, that really is cool.
0: And this is exactly why people say Seattle is so eclectic, right? We're so unique here because, you know, where else do you really hear a story like that where, you know, they expand across the country, come back, still have an impact, doing different things. And for anybody out there who has experienced like Teatro Zanzani, when you say that, I'm like, that is a whole experience, (laughs) right? And so uh, I love that, that that piece of history could be shared here today. Thank you for bringing that to to, to bear because, you know, all things are not bleak. Right. The idea that we have such a rich culture and history here in so many different sectors is one of the things that I really love about our city in Seattle and really throughout King County and Western Washington, to be exact. Because to be honest, I I hear about things all the way in Pierce County, Snohomish, Mm -hmm. where it's like. Echoing very uh, similar characteristics to what you just described, so mm-hmm. that's that's beautiful right there. Yeah, we're uh, of uh, heritage. So yeah, <laughs> yeah, there it is. You have another queer space, right?
2: Yeah. So um, I always like to include, you know, some not vanishing spaces that are, you know, here and thriving, and that folks can go and support. Um, so one queer-owned business is Mellow Cafe, uh, which I know you're, you know, very familiar with and a fan of. Um, that's on Twenty-fifth and Union. Um, owned by Ambrosia Austin. Um, and I think that opened in early 2021, um, but just incredible, you know, amazing um, cold pressed juices, um, uh, waffle breakfast sandwiches, which are um yeah, delicious. And yeah, Ambrosia just when you go there, you can see the relationships that Ambrosia has fostered with um her customers and regulars. And so it's just a it's really great to see them uh yeah, intentionally holding it down in that spot and in the central district. So yeah, Mellow Cafe highly recommend. Yeah. Awesome spot. Yeah. I
0: I highly recommend it as well. I I love uh, their juices and I tend to go there uh, pretty regularly. Mm -hmm. Uh, Shout out to you, Ambrosia. You know what it is. Uh, But, you know, I I really appreciate that there is black owned businesses up and down Union, which, you know, really was a staple for me growing Mm up. And and I told Ambrosia I lived on 25th between Pike and Pine. So I'd walk Mm -hmm. past, you know, 25th and Union every day going to Garfield. I just walk right down 25th. So for me to see that spot there, you know, and to be able to be a customer and, you know, I definitely have my punch card. (laughs) So you get a little punch card, too, and you can get discounts. Amazing space. And, And there's one more you have.
2: Yeah. And I'll just say really quickly, I think it's another example of like community, like coming together to ensure like a space remains Um, in for community because before that folks may remember it was cartona cafe for about a decade owned by ice dean and um yeah like she was a big fan of mellow and then when she moved like intentionally wanted to pass that space on to ambrosia so and another black-owned women-owned queer-owned business so it's yeah awesome to see see that happen in a community Um, but yeah so the other not vanishing um small business i wanted to highlight is uh florentino's Fine Flowers, um, relatively new, about to celebrate their one-year anniversary. Um, they're in Madison Valley. And it's owned by Tino Umali, who is a fellow Garfield grad. Woo-hoo, go Bulldogs! Go Bulldogs! <laughs> and yeah, Tino has worked as a florist for over 20 years. Um, worked downtown, has been, you know, gardening and doing floral arrangements since he was a kid. And shared the space with another Garfield grad, Jen Quayano, who had the hella happy shop there. And then, um, yeah, now has that entire space um, as of a few months ago, and yeah, just does beautiful custom floral arrangements. Um, cultivates a very like warm, welcoming vibe. Um, also has a lot of really cool gifts and stuff. So if I'm looking for, you know, a gift for someone or plants, um, there's also like a little Seattle-focused um, section of the shop with books and things. Um, Yeah, just a great place uh, to go and also going to be doing some upcoming um, events with like Rock LaRue and the other small businesses there. So um, yeah, Florentino's, that's a great uh, queer owned business to check out as well. Madison Valley. I have to get down there. I mean,
0: I love hearing about these spaces that we can go and support because you know, as we know, you know, small business is still such a backbone of American economy and the fact that we have such amazing small businesses here, you know, to support, to to get to know, right? Mm-hmm. Know the owners, build those relationships. That for me is always everything. So I just appreciate your insight always. I can't wait for you to come back on the day with Trey. Thank you for joining me in the lovely McCall yes. Hall, by the way. I mean, it's beautiful here. So glad that you were able to bring those bits of Seattle history and, you know, new spaces that we can actually patron. We can continue to patron. Thank you so much. As always, we appreciate your work with Vanishing Seattle. Stay on it because, you know, we're going to be coming for you for the updates. Thanks so much. <laughs> Thank
2: you, Trey. I appreciate your support and <laughs> thanks for having me. Thanks for Call Hall. I, yeah. Love being here with you. So appreciate everything that you do. Absolutely. Absolutely. Oh, my goodness, you guys. There it is. We have started the show
0: off nice and right. Cynthia Brothers just gave us a real dose of Seattle. Uh, You know, we heard about Grumpy D's that unfortunately had to close its doors. But we also heard about some amazing spaces that we can continue to patron. So let's get down there to the pier, to the magic shop. Let's get to Mellow Cafe and Florentino's. You guys, make sure you guys check out Vanishing Seattle. I'm going to give it back to her so that she can tell y'all where to find her.
2: Oh, yeah. So <laughs> thanks, Trey. <laughs> I'm like, should I exit stage left? Um, yeah, you can you know, just find me at uh, Vanishing Seattle on Instagram and Facebook. Um, feel free to message me any pictures or stories or things that you see going on in your neighborhood. I have a lot of um, interaction from followers. And that's also how I'm able to, yeah, just get information and, and memories and kind of stay connected. So it's, it's really a collaborative effort. So yeah, feel free to reach out at Vanishing Seattle. There it is. Couldn't couldn't end without doing that and making sure we get
0: that on the books. You guys up next, I have Keon Ross, director of company operations here for Pacific Northwest Ballet. Can't wait to dive into all things all tharp after this short break. Stay tuned. You're watching The Day with Trey.
1: Hello, my name is Ramon Bryan Braxton, and I am the artistic director and conductor for the historic Juneteenth musical that will be presented at the McCaw Music Hall on Sunday, June 19th at 6 p.m. The musical is entitled Songs of Black Folk, Music of Resistance and Folk. This concert will feature the rich musical traditions that have been birthed from the African-American experience, including spirituals, jazz, gospel, R&B, hip-hop, and spoken word. An orchestra plus rhythm section will accompany internationally renowned soloists Bridget Brazil, Solomon Howard, and James Conner, along with local artists Felicia Curry and Robin Henderson. Our special guest artist will be Mr. Darren Atwater, critically acclaimed composer and founder of Baltimore Soulful Symphony. Additionally, a choral group of local singers will present diverse arrangements of iconic African-American music. You can reserve your free tickets for this phenomenal event on Ticket Leap, searching One Seattle Juneteenth or on the McCall Hall website. Please join One Seattle in partnership with the New Beginnings Christian Fellowship of Kent, the Church Council of Greater Seattle, and a long list of community sponsors as we celebrate freedom with music that speaks and heals every soul. COVID protocols will be in place and masks are required.
0: All right, everybody, welcome back to The Day with Trey right here at the beautiful McCall Hall. Our next guest, Keon Ross, as director of company operations for Pacific Northwest Ballet. I'm sure he knows this building well. What's up,
3: Keon? Thanks so much for joining. Hey, hey, Trey. It's nice (laughs) to be here with you. Thank you for having me.
0: Absolutely. I mean, you know. I know we're going over on the show today because it's so important. This is such a great special for us to be here. It's a special time for us on the show, but you get to experience it all the time. Tell us a bit about your role at Pacific Northwest Ballet.
3: Sure. My role at Pacific Northwest Ballet is the director of company operations. So I handle the daily operations of the dancers. I handle all the contracting for the works that we do, like the All Tharp. And I'm also the touring manager for the company. And we're going on two big tours this summer, one to New York City and one to L.A.
0: Wow. I mean, here I was thinking that Pacific Northwest Ballet was just here. So the fact that you guys are doing these kind of tours, tell us a little bit more about that. How do these tours come about and what type of, you know, performances are you guys going to be doing while you guys travel?
3: Yeah. So actually, uh, these tours come about because we have a touring agent. Her name is Margaret Selby. um, And she's always got her feelers out sort of trying to find places to uh, present the company so that we can get our name out on the national and international stage. Mm -hmm. Um, And so the tour to New York, we're being presented by the Joyce Theater at Lincoln Center at the David H. Coke Theater. And then for L.A., we're performing at the Dorothy Chandler Pavilion.
0: Wow. Amazing. Now, when you guys do these tours, you guys pull together different pieces that you guys have done here. Um, Is it new uh, performances? How do you guys pull together the show?
3: Yeah, so it's actually works that we do here that are part of our rep and we're actually taking the THARP with us waiting at the station. So it'll be on both tours this summer. So the whole country will get to experience some THARP.
0: Oh, well, you know, now that just brings me to my next question because of course we're here to talk about, as I said, all things, all THARP. But really, you know, this is something that is a a collaboration uh, of Twyla Tharp's works, right? Like this is a combination of the things that, you know, she brought. Tell us a bit about the history of this show.
3: Yeah, so this is a triptych of THARP works, and each of them is really different. So we have uh Fling, which is sort of Twyla's take on classical ballet. And then we have Sweet Fields, which is um, really a piece about community and uh, really shows the humanness of connection. And then we have Waiting at the Station, which is um, really like a self-contained Broadway piece. Mm-hmm. I mean, Twyla is just amazing. I mean, she's a director, she's a choreographer, she's a producer. And so I think with these three works, you really get to see the span of her talent.
0: Well, I got to say, I'm just already, I've I've heard so much about this and I was just saying to you, I'm trying to find a way to make it work with my schedule because I really appreciate all of the works coming out of Pacific Northwest Ballet, but I'm just now becoming a fan, right? Like I was just talking about the amazing Swan Lake, right? I was here for that and it just blew me away, right? I think it just took me to another level. But also I got to see the depth of Romeo and Juliet and I got to experience, you know, the fun of other shows you guys have had. And and so tell us a bit about what you you want the audience to take away when they come to see All Tharp.
3: Right. So when you come to see All Tharp, I mean, it really is um, a human experience, right? It THARP has a real way of connecting with people. And I think that sometimes there's a disconnect between ballet and the public. People think of ballet in one specific way, but as you said, there's a real range of works that you can really connect with. You can really get deep with the classical ballets like Swan Lake, like Romeo and Juliet, but then you also have these opportunities to have these really relatable works that you can really sort of tap your feet to and move your body to and really have that kind of experience. So when you come to all THARP, it's really just, It's really like a party, you know, it's really a place where you can enjoy yourself and like feel like you understand what's going on on stage. There's really something for everyone. And part of this program
0: You know What I really appreciate About you know Our partnership With Pacific Northwest Ballet Here for Converge Media Is that We get to really Kind of break The monotony of that Of thought Around ballet And you know For Black community It's like Mm -hmm. No this space Is for you as well And I think sometimes There has to be A greater level Of intentionality To market To our community in the Black community So they know To come I mean You are here You know Talking about Your amazing role Clearly there is some diversity that is happening that just needs to be more spotlighted yeah. tell us a bit about how you've experienced that level of intentionality from PNB around diversifying not only the you know the company but also all the operations behind the scenes
3: yeah i mean so at pnb right now we're doing a real push with our idea work um, you know i was a dancer with the company 15 years ago and um, from where we were then to where we are now i mean it's a huge difference i mean we are here, you know, we do have Black dancers. I mean, and we are really working on representing new stories, diverse stories, um, representing um, underrepresented voices. And so there really is something for everyone. And I think that um, it's sort of a a misrepresentation in our community that ballet is not for us, Mm -hmm. but it really is for us. It's for all of us. And um, you will see yourself on that stage. And I think that that's so important, that representation. And PMB is really taking a big forward stance and really making sure that we show that representation on our stage and with the works that we're bringing in.
0: Well, also, I think your story is really important, too, because, you know, young folks out there that may want to be a dancer, you know, the idea is that there are so many other ways to still be engaged and involved in the company outside of dance. Right. Like Mm -hmm. what you've done. Tell us a bit about that, because as you like exited as a dancer, Mm -hmm. did you ever see yourself on this side uh, (laughs) of the of the coin here uh, to be making sure that all of the things are happening still? on the other side.
3: Yeah, you know, I I actually never envisioned (laughs) myself in this place. You know, when I retired dancing, I actually joined the faculty of our school Mm -hmm. and I taught a lot of students. And I thought that was really important. It's really important to see someone in the front of the room, who looks like you, someone who you can relate to, and so that is what my sort of um, goal was in becoming a teacher. And then when this job opened up, you know, I actually graduated from Seattle University with a degree in nonprofit leadership, mm-hmm. um, which Pacific Northwest Ballet helped me achieve. Mm-hmm. And so, I mean. I felt like it was my duty to sort of give back and also to um, represent on the leadership side of Pacific Northwest Ballet, because then I can help inform you know, what we bring in, what kind of artists we do, and really just help our organization move forward.
0: Yeah, this is important, and I think so many of us need to hear that story more. We need to also understand the when we have that peak behind the, the the curtain. I'm always talking about it because I think that that's one of the things that I appreciate so much about you know my show here on Converge Media is mm-hmm. that I get the opportunity to sit down with someone like you and actually have this kind of conversation for our audience to understand the the nuances and the dynamic. Yeah. Uh, you know, for me as a young person in theater, and a lot of people say this oftentimes. I was the only one. Right. I mean, I remember going up for a role and it was a lead role. And they're like, look, you know, this is really for like a young white girl. We're going to have to dye your hair red. You know, raise your hand if you don't want your hair dyed red. (laughs) And I'm like, oh, no, my parents aren't going for that. Right. Like I'm not doing it. Somehow I still got the role. And they're like, don't worry, we're just going to do this temporary thing for your hair. Mm -hmm. And it worked out. But see, if I wasn't there, they wouldn't have even been pressed to do something different, to find a way to be inclusive like that. So I think also, too, there's something to be said about those of us who are like, you know what, even if I am the only one, I got to be the one to start breaking the mold and creating new pathways and opportunities for folks who look like me to enter in. So I really appreciate hearing you say that, you know, you went into teaching because you're so right about that. Tell us about some of the inspiration that you gave to students as a teacher that probably informs your work to this day.
3: Mm -hmm. So, you know, one of my biggest philosophies is creating an experience that was unlike mine. You know, I was the only one, you know, for a while when I was dancing here at Pacific Northwest Ballet. And now to look at the company now and to see all the diversity that we have. And I look into the studio and I see there are so many people who look like me in that studio. And, you know, that was just over a short period of time that, you know, we've gone from a place where it was only me to now there's so much diversity within our company. And so that makes me feel really good about the, the progress that we're making. Um, You know, we still have work to do and Mm -hmm. we're, we're making sure that we work on that, but um, it's just wonderful to see Trey.
0: Yeah. And and I appreciate you for sharing your story so that people out there can understand Mm -hmm. that, you know, there's a place for them here, you know, whether it is in the company, whether it's behind the scenes in, in, teaching roles, the ideas that, you know, somebody could take their skill set as a dancer and move forward into teaching, moving forward into operations, I think is also really inspiring because there's a misnomer where it's like Mm -hmm. a dancer's life is a short life, right? I mean, I know you've heard that before where it's like, you know, you age out almost, right? And like your body only can do so much. So you really are a shining example of how to continue that career and carry it
3: forward. That's right. You know, like, you know, dancing, um, a dance education teaches you so many transferable skills. It teaches you, you know, organization, it teaches you, um, uh, um, how to show up, you know? And so I think that it's not just about being a dancer, but it's about all the other skills, discipline, um, you know, all of those things that help you as an, as a person, it's mm-hmm. not just about dancing. And so I think that, you know, people think about, oh, you know, dancing is just sort of an extracurricular activity or something to do on the side, but really it helps you in so many different facets of your life.
0: You know, I really, I have a child who's been playing like basketball since second grade, right? Mm-hmm. AAU ball. And I feel the same in in, in about athletics, mm-hmm. right? There's like these, uh, uh, carried values, really, yeah. that, that really center you in your life as a, a young person and then all the way through your adulthood, because you learn these skills about the importance of teamwork and, you know, understanding that you don't have to be, you know, in the forefront and understanding that discipline and that work ethic. So I agree with you there. And I love that you pull that out because it's very similar with dance. But, you know, you just mentioned something a while back about how, you know, PNB also helped you get your degree. Just tell us a bit about that, because I think. A A lot of people don't know that there is this amazing opportunity for dancers to, you know, okay, maybe you're done with dance, but let's help you in the next leg of your life. Tell us a bit about that program. That's
3: right. So at PNB, we have a program called Second Stage, and it's a program to help dancers make that transition out of dance and into their second careers. Um, We partner with Seattle University so you can either, you know, take classes and get credits towards a college degree Or you can um, sort of take out uh, money from this pool of money to work on other things. We have dancers who become lawyers, dancers who have opened their own businesses um, and gone on to other things. And so it really is a way to prepare you because, as you said, you can't dance forever, you know, and you have to be thinking about what is my next step. And to have an organization support you in that way and to provide resources for you to be able to do that is wonderful. It really is.
0: And, and I gotta say this because I think, uh, again, for me, we have to break some of the ideas out there, right? And we know that capitalism is huge here in America. And the idea that there's a lot of extractive nature of practice of business. Um, I think a lot of people identify with certain industries. Right. Yeah. And it's like, oh, they'll they'll use you up until they can't use you right. no more, right. <laughs> right? right. Type of thing. But, you know, PNB is very intentional to be like, no, we understand that life carries on for our dancers. And how can we be very specific about being a, a support factor to them in that way? And when I first heard about a uh, second look second stage stage, when I first heard about Mm -hmm. it because I was reading it in the program. And, and then, you know, the dancers came out and they were talking about it like, Hey, when you give funds, these are some of the ways that your funds are used. It's not just, you know, for the building or for, you know, productions, there's so much more going on behind the scenes about why, you know, uh, your funds are going to all of these amazing uh, programs that are helping people. That's right. That's the beauty of it. Yeah. Well, you know, Keon, I'm so grateful. Uh, You know, all THARP has, you know, more shows. Tell us a bit about it because I know it's going to be wrapping up soon, but we want to get people out here to this show.
3: Yeah, sure. We have three more performances this weekend for all THARP tonight, tomorrow and on Sunday. And you can buy tickets at www.pmb.org.
0: Oh, Kian, I really appreciate you for being with me today on the day with Trey and for sharing all that you have experienced here as a dancer, a teacher, and now director of company operations. Kudos to you for being able to continue in your legacy right here with PNB. And I know PNB is, you know, all the better for it. So thank you so much. And Great. congrats on the tour.
3: Great. And thank you so much, Trey, for having me. I really appreciate it. And congratulations on all your accolades.
0: Absolutely. Thank you so much. Oh my goodness, you guys, I'm telling you, I always get so inspired by everybody who is doing great works. Um, I know that we have run over today. So I just want to encourage you, make sure you guys email BESA, B-E-S-A, at whereweconverge.com for your tickets to all THARP. You just said it right there. There's three more performances. So you guys got three opportunities to bring yourself and a friend, a family member out here to McCall Hall. See this beautiful place. I'm telling you, the stage is phenomenal and there's no bad seats. I promise you that the way they have designed it, it means anywhere you're sitting, you're going to get a great view of that stage. Um, Make sure you guys email Besa for those tickets. I want to thank my guest today for being on with me. Cynthia Brothers from Vanishing Seattle always comes through with something that is always educational for me. There's so many spaces uh, throughout Seattle that I don't know about. So I always appreciate her for coming here and sharing uh, and shining a light on some of that work. And I want to send a a great thank you to everybody here behind the scenes. We got Leah, we got Gary. Y'all don't know them, but I do because I work with them all the time. And they are so phenomenal in our partnership right here with Pacific Northwest Ballet and also with McCall Hall because I come to operas here too, y'all. I'm telling you, there's amazing shows happening here. So I want to send a huge shout out to the entire McCall Hall team for welcoming the day with Trey and Converge Media into their amazing space. We may keep this going, right? This is an amazing opportunity and it's such a great space, but I want you guys to be comfortable knowing that this space is open to you as well. You know, bring your kids. It's a family-friendly place. Almost every show I've come to, there's always kids here. And, you know, it really is something where you can start to bring your families, get acquainted with our spaces in Seattle. They are open for you as well. And I'm so thankful that you guys are pouring into me. I can't thank you enough for all of the love that I've received in this first week of the day with Trey. So many amazing messages. I thank you all. I thank all of the followers out there. People are following me at Trey Holiday on Instagram and Treyana Holiday on Facebook. And I thank you guys for all of that because it's really something where I'm like, wow, there is an impact that we are making here at Converge Media. And outside of you know these accolades that we have received with the Emmys, you know, we always talk about being connected to our community and ensuring that we are really representing and bringing you guys opportunities to be engaged, to be informed and to be inspired. And so I just thank you guys for betting on me on the day with Trey so that you can get your daily dose of dopeness right here with me Monday through Friday at 11 a.m. And Next Monday, uh, I get to sit down with Faraji Bhakti. He's going to be talking about all things yoga. He's bringing yoga out into the community in a real intentional way, ensuring that you understand not only the benefits of yoga, but also how you can, you know, change your life with yoga. It's a whole life movement that he's bringing to bear. And I'm excited because talking with him, his story is so unique and it's so well-rounded that again, My goal is for you to be inspired by it. You know, for me, I want y'all to see yourself as a part of the solution. Cynthia Brothers has done that. So is Keon Ross. Everybody can do it in the ways that they can. I want you guys to walk away from every episode of the day with Trey, feeling that inspiration, understanding how you too can see yourself as a part of the solution. Until Monday at 11 a.m., y'all. Peace. (laughs)